electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'm doing my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and explain how days like today can happen. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Listen to me. A year ago today, the NASDAQ peaked. The world we thought we knew came to an end, and the highest of growth stocks began their slow motion crash and burn. Look, even on a good day like today, and it was a good one, with the Dow gained 298 points, the S&P advanced 1.36%, the NASDAQ climbed 1.36%. Doesn't come close to racing the trillions in lost wealth that we've seen. So we can't let one strong day throw us off the real narrative of the last year, which is big losses for your portfolio. Much of these losses are concentrated in businesses that are hidden to you and sound very confusing, not exactly like each other. Enterprise technology software companies that help other businesses do things more efficiently or that help you digitize whatever hasn't been already been digitized. Now, here I'm talking about tech that was meant to remove the friction in banking or real estate or car buying or anything else. Others are companies that started small in one cloud vertical and then expanded to other cloud verticals, creating newfound and, yes, indeed, ruinous competition. Meanwhile, we've got some gains, too, though only in a handful of what I call prosaic companies, the drugs, the foods, the trade-down retailers, just enough to justify saying that there is indeed always a bull market somewhere, but not very much of one. And what created this new market? The Federal Reserve, that's who. One year ago is when the Fed decided to take away the proverbial punch bowl, declaring war on the worst inflation in 40 years. That's the only common explanation for all these declines, because in many cases, the underlying financials really didn't change, at least not in the first six months. Now, we can start with big tech. Let's call it FANG plus m and I don't even care anymore. These used to be some of the most durable stocks out there. Even when the economy got weak, they got hit with a hurricane of wealth destruction this time around, though. 
For ages, nothing has been able to stop Amazon, not since they first branched beyond books. But then they expanded too aggressively during the pandemic, right before the Fed started tightening aggressively. The stock's now sunk from 179 at the close on November 22nd last year to 93 bucks because they've got huge exposure to advertising and cloud infrastructure. These are two areas nobody wants to touch in this market because advertising has softened, as it always does, as a recession bodes. And Amazon finally got real cloud competition, not just from Microsoft's Azure, but lately Google's cloud offering. Longer term, though, I think Amazon can recover after the Fed's done its job. Same goes for Microsoft, which has plunged from 340 to 245. Sell, sell, sell. While Microsoft's got a dandy enterprise business, including the aforementioned Azure, their gaming and PC divisions, they are what I call a nightmare. The house of pain. These two groups are untouchable. Just look at their chip suppliers, AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA, all down nearly 50% for the year. Staggering. Netflix have been the envy of the entertainment industry, but now it's the envy of nobody with its stock down from 659 to 286, although it's actually better than it's been. Now, the envious one included Disney, which took a similar plunge after hitching its star to streaming. At least Netflix has been headed in the right direction for the last few months, and of all these stocks, I actually prefer it. Tesla's nosedive from 385 to 169 seems to be ongoing. Now that CEO Elon Musk is in self-administered Twitter purgatory, he needs to use his Tesla shares as a piggy bank right when the company is being raided by softer Chinese sales. Alphabet's gone from 146 to 97, a stunning decline given that it was never particularly expensive to begin with. Colbert, too many people, too little advertising. I don't even know what to say about Metaverse, which has gone from 345 to 111. Advertising declines, crazy spending on an untried idea, bet the farm on something so new and different only one person, the CEO, understands it. Tough climb back, that's all I can say. Only Apple has hung in there. It's gone from 161 down to 150. Big deal, because it doesn't have too much exposure to the advertising or enterprise businesses. That's what you want. Yet Apple is consistently the most hated. It's always vilified. What's with these people? I say own it, don't trade it, and stop listening to them, whoever they are. The most compelling thing I can say about these big tech cap stocks is that I think they only can come back. They're the best of the best. Even they need to get their employment tables in order, though. I'd say the same about the top uh, tier software companies, ServiceNow, Salesforce, Adobe, and Workday, all of which are down huge. Nearly all of these, save Apple, are variations on the same story. Stocks that were cut in half when the businesses had no such come downs, but a lot more competition. Their stocks just got way ahead of themselves. Before the Fed took away that easy money and the market sizes shrunk so, they started going after each other's businesses. How do you tell the difference between what can come back and what can't? Well, it helps to have been through this before, back during the dot-com collapses I have. Back then, it was the best of breed that eventually managed to rebound. The rest of them just never came back. Not the stocks that were the hottest. Those were the worst performers. Now, let's go over some that were really hot that I think can survive but are not going to come right back. Consider the darlings of the pandemic here at PayPal, going from 189 to just under 80. DoorDash, 201, 54. Airbnb, 182, 95. Square, 211, 62. I don't question their survivability, but I do question whether they can ever revisit their old highs. Once the Fed relents, it'd be much better to be in the big tech or the top cloud plays or even the better chip makers. And here I'm thinking AMD, NVIDIA. That's why we hang on to so many of them from my charitable trust. 
Of course, the real damage comes from the lowest quality cloud names. And here we go. Let me give you a little bit of a, you know, kind of a survivor list, maybe. Asana and Blend Labs, both down 87% for the 52-week highs. RingCentral, Domo, Twilio, all about 85%. Big Commerce, that's an actual company, down 84%. DocuSign, remember them, and CS Disco. CS Disco. Disco Inferno, down 83%, or Amplitude and Fastly, down 81%. At one time, these were huge, beloved stocks. Will they ever come back? Listen, that's just the 10 worst in the Wisdom Tree Cloud ETF, also known as the WCLD. But the losses are so stunning, you have to imagine it ripples from the bosses to the workers, to the shareholders, to the law service providers, the lawyers, the accounts, ad firms, bankers, all of whom now see the writing on the wall. I don't expect big rebounds from any of these. And don't even get me started on fintech. A firm's collapsed from 123 at this time last year to 12. Upstart's even worse, 205 to 18. Carvana, 285 to under 7. All very dot-com-ish. How about the winners during the dark period? The discounters are doing great. Burlington's up, Burlington's up 32 points today. Uh, what an amazing quarter. Raw stores, TGX, Ollie's, Dollar General, Five Below. They're all up anywhere from 40 to 74% off their lows. Packaged food place, really boring. Conagra, Campbell's Soup, Sandville, Hormel, Treehouse Foods, Eli Lilly, Merck, up between 20 and 64%. Just like the action in big tech, these moves are not about the underlying business. They're about the Fed's rate hike cycle. Money managers love to buy that kind of stuff when the Fed's tightening. I got to go back to these losers, though, because the more you study them, the more you realize how genuinely crazy things got last year at this time. At one point, Wall Street simply didn't care if a company had any plans whatsoever to make money. We only cared about revenue growth and multiples to sales, not profits. Over the last year, we've escaped from that mentality and the companies that pivoted to profitability have seen their stocks hold up a lot better than the growth at all cost names. What's the real takeaway from the scratch the surface collection of stocks? Simple. The business cycle is like a gigantic wave, one that cannot be bucked by the vast majority of stocks. The only nimble surfers are the companies that can triumph in a downturn simply because their business is more or less recession proof. What drives me nuts is that the analysts who follow these stocks professionally never seem to realize that all the market's a stage and all the stocks are really players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one stock in its time plays many parts. In keeping with that Shakespearean theme, the enterprise uh, stocks were the most loved. They sounded like their businesses were always in the first inning and the world was their oyster. Then they found out they were in the eighth inning and suddenly it was time for them to make their exits. The money's now spent. The loss is indelible. While the great ones will come back, but who knows when? Bottom line, never let it be said the Fed didn't do its job. They put the big old kibosh on the most overheated area of the stock market by raising interest rates a few percentage points. They crushed vast swaths of stocks, even in increasingly rare cases where the underlying businesses were doing just fine. Fighting the Fed? Mugs game. John in Wisconsin. John. Hey, Jimbo. Thanks for John. all your help and insight. Um, I'm a real big fan. What are your oh, thoughts you. on Shopify? And do, can I they think Shopify is going to make it through this period. Shopify will make it through this period. And at 35, with a market cap of 38, $38 billion, I'm actually willing to take a position and then bet it comes back to 33 and buy a little more. While we're at it, let's go on this special pre-Thanksgiving Day show to Willie in North Carolina. Willie. Hi, Jim. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm amazing. And I just want to let you know that Santa Claus is going to bring me a gift this year. 
And the gift is going to be I'm going to become a member of the club. So that's yes. the only thing I asked for Christmas this year. Um, I have one confession. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the question is, um, I'm looking at Wayfair. Um, no, and I no, Willie, 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 no. We don't want to look at Wayfair. It's too hard. We want bluer chips. We want better deals. We want more of a stock. Honestly, I'd rather see it by William Sonoma. And by the way, for this for Willie and everyone else, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, exclusive officer, offer. Look at this. Join Jim Cramer. That's me. And the CMEC Investing Club for a discounted holiday price. And then it even has this kind of really kind of cool thing. Like, you know, right? And this is, oh, by the way, you, all you have to do is hold your phone up. You go like this. What do you do? You, it's like this way or that way. Is it this? I'll ask my kids. And then you can subscribe. Never let it be said that the Fed didn't do its job. Well, Mad Money tonight, HP reported earnings after the bell. So what did the company have to say about the state of the PC market with analysts fearing a slowdown? I'm breaking down the numbers and the, uh, uh, all about it. Then oil has a tough relationship with Thanksgiving. So what could this year's market bring? Maybe turmoil? And I'm going off the charts. And Wabash has soared more than 50% in the last month. So could this just be the beginning of a greater move? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. So stay with the investing club and use this thing. This thing gives you like everything. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching 
learning engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, what happens uh, when a company in a very tough business turns in a set of numbers that I would say are slightly better than fear? That's the question when it comes to HP Inc., the leading maker of PCs and printers, a pair of industries that have been really struggling of late. I don't know anyone who's expecting a really fabulous quarter from these guys, yet when HP reported after the close, the results were not that bad. They delivered a small top and bottom line beat with much better than expected cash flow, which is what this company generates big time. While the guidance was more mixed, it could have been a heck of a lot worse. Feels similar to Dell to me, which reported a mixed set of numbers yesterday, saw its stock were nearly 7%. And while layoffs are per se odious, HP announced a big one, which could help earnings down the road. Could this be the beginning of a longer-term recovery? Let's check in with Enrique Lourdes, the president and CEO of HP. Get a better read of the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Lourdes, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Good to see you. Now, Enrique, I want to posit something, which you can tell me maybe too pie in the sky or not. But there's been an inventory glut for some time. Some point within the next six to eight months, we should see a bottom. And when that happens, you have to buy the stock now in order to anticipate that bottom. Any chance that scenario could play out? So, first of all, uh, Jim, we, we know that we are facing a tough market environment. And we believe that we will continue to, to face that during next year. From an inventory perspective, we have been making progress, reducing the inventory that we see in the channel. And our expectation is that by the first half of the next fiscal year, we will be back to a normal situation. Now, if that's the case, why is it necessary to take the layoffs? Well, when we look at the overall market situation, as I said before, we expect it to be challenging. And also we see opportunities to build on all the effort that we did during the last three years to reduce the structural cost of the company. And this is what we have announced today, a program to both reduce the structural cost. We think we can remove $1.4 billion of structural cost during the next three years. But also with the same program, we are going to continue to invest in the growth businesses of the company because we think we need to continue to do that to position the company well for the future. Okay, so how many of the layoffs will be involved with the integration of Poly, which sounds like so far it's going well? Well, the the integration is is going well. It has been only two months since we put the two companies together. Some of the layoffs are coming from the integration, but the majority are coming from the work that we are going to be doing to become more efficient, to drive digital efficiencies and change the infrastructure of the company, and also to simplify some of the investments that we do in our core businesses, where we think we can reduce our cost fixed structure. All right. Now, you know I'm a big believer in your product, and I'm a user. And I wanted to know whether there's a theory. I bounce this one off you. When we had to work from home, we instantly bought whatever PC we could get. We now want to have the best PC. Are you seeing a second wave of demand, particularly of the PCs that have touchscreen, that have lots of power, and are light? Yeah, what we have seen during the last years is a significant change of mix, most of us premium categories. The need, the hybrid work needs are really driving the need to have better
better cameras, better screens, more memory. And this has clearly impacted the mix on the PC space. And this is really what we have been seeing during the last quarter and what we expect to continue to see going forward. But are you in a situation where you have a curious mix, where uh, the, high, the high-end PCs, they're, Enrique, I got, they're very hard to get. I mean, everyone seems to be in short supply. Now, if you go to Best Buy's website, they have every PC, but a lot of them, of your, your high-end, are really not available. Is the supply going to come in? Are you going to get enough chips to make these? Because I think everybody wants to get their hands on one, wants one, but they're awful hard to get your hands on. Well, the, the, supply chain th- the supply chain situation has significantly improved. And there are the gaps that we have now are really small and very focused on a few units. So when we look at next year, we don't think really supply chain is going to be impacting our performance. It's all about demand. And this is why we are driving efforts also to reduce our cost structure so we can become more competitive because our plan is to gain share during fiscal year 23. Okay, so go to your uh, operating margins. They they've been, they went from 9.1 fiscal year 2021, and they uh, dropped to 7.7. Any chance they can get with the layoffs and with the idea that some of your component costs are coming down back higher? Because then that would generate even more cash flow, which you know and I know is why people own your stock. Yeah, our margins are different business by business. On the print side, we are above the guided range that we have, significantly above. The PC side is below, mostly because of the competitive pricing that we see in the consumer space, especially in Europe. And this is why, as we think the channel situation will normalize, margins will get better, and also because of the impact on all the cost reductions that we are going to be taking. Well, okay, so in other words, what you're telling me basically is an outlook that will get better, and at this time next year, you'll be spewing more cash. So what will you be doing with it? We are back to that buying back stock aggressively like we did before, even bigger dividend. What's your plan? Well, our capital allocation strategy has not changed. Okay. Our plan is to continue to return 100% of free cash flow to investors, while we will be below our leverage ratio of 2x, and unless other opportunities to invest show up like M&A. So this, is, this has been our plan during the last three years and continues to be our plan going forward. Well, you know, I was concerned when I saw your numbers. I, before I saw them, I said, oh, God, I hope Enrique delivers. And once again, in maybe the most challenging environment that I have seen your industry in, maybe in my entire life, I mean, you're talking about double-digit declines. I think you perform rather remarkably. And if we do get to the end of the glut and a better economy, your stock will once again be the best performer in the industry. That's my feeling. Oh, thank you. I think we, we are really focused on doing what we say. We did it in Q3. We did it in Q4. We will do it next year. And this is why we are taking action now to both reduce our cost, but also to continue to invest in the future. You are totally I don't think anybody knows. Right. When the recovery will happen, but we want to be ready for it. Exactly right. You're a man of your word. You're always, you make projections and you beat those projections. Thank heavens, because lately many people have been missing them. That's Enrique Loris, HP Inc. CEO. Thank you so much, Enrique. Best of luck on your call. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you. May have money's back here for the break. Coming up, a cornucopia of oil info, Thanksgiving energy trends, and how to play them. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. 
Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You want to get a real good read on this market, you need to watch oil because it's a clear barometer of the global economy and also because energy costs have become a major component of inflation. But the thing about the oil market is it is prone to hysteria. Earlier this year when Russia first invaded Ukraine, the price of crude skyrocketed past $100, trading all the way up to $130, and we never stopped hearing it was headed nebly to $150. I heard a person say $200. Then when crude peaked over the summer, you heard a lot of people speculate that it might be headed for a hideous meltdown, though there were a ton of bulls who stuck with it. Now, though, it's been trading in the 70s to 80s, right, for the past few months, and it's time to ask if the overall dynamic in the oil market could be ready to change. You're starting to see some of the most recalcitrant bulls cut their price forecast, like Jeff Curry from Goldman Sachs, who took his fourth quarter Brent crude price target from 110 down to 100 yesterday on worries about the global economy, especially China's never-ending lockdowns. But when it comes to commodities, we like to go off the charts with the person who's been the most right. I mean, by far. That's, Charlie, that's Carly Garner. She is so brilliant. She works as the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, and she's also the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading. She's my go-to person on charts when it comes to oil. She predicted the peak in oil over the summer. Ever since all things energy spiked after Russia invaded Ukraine, Garner told us to stay calm, approach the oil market rationally, like the irrational people calling for $200. She told us repeatedly that these triple-digit prices earlier this year were just temporary. At the time, everyone was acting like Russia's massive oil industry had pretty much shut down because of the sanctions from the West. But Russia never stopped pumping. They just found different customers selling their crude to India and China. You take away the worries about a major supply disruption, and there was every reason to expect oil would come right back down to where it was trading even before the war. You know what? I thought that was an incredible call. One that I bet Curry wishes he'd listened to. But now that oil's more than round-tripped its Ukraine-related gains, where does it go? What does Garner think is next? For the first time in a while, she's saying that while there's some hope for the crude oil bulls ahead, but she also says there was going to be some near-term turbulence before oil puts in a true bottom. So why don't we start with the turbulence? Take a look at the chart of the seasonal pattern, West Texas Intermediate Crude. This is how oil historically needs to behave, tends to behave, at any given point in the year. All right? You can see this uh, as you, the oil market in Thanksgiving they have what I call a tumultuous relationship. This week of the year tends to be pretty darn ugly for crude, something Garner's had to learn the hard way. Historically, some of the most devastating oil declines have occurred on or about Thanksgiving Day. 
Let's take last year. She points out that the oil futures fell $10 on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Luckily, this was only a half day. Otherwise, the damage might have been even worse. Now, if you go back a little further, crude dropped 10% in Thanksgiving week of 2018, and in 2014, it tumbled nearly 14%. This is not a coincidence, according to Garner. The problem with Thanksgiving week is that's when we get the last trading day for the December oil futures. Oil trades mostly in futures. At the same time, it doesn't help that there's always an OPEC meeting in late November, early December. Throw in the fact that holiday weeks tend to have very light volume, and that means any moves tend to be get blown out of proportion because it doesn't take much to, to move a commodity or a stock, frankly, during these later periods. But you can't underestimate the mechanics of the futures market. This year, yesterday, the 21st, was the last trading day for December oil futures. And those, these moments of future expiration tend to produce a lot of volatility. Specifically, Garner says they exaggerate whatever trend was already in place. Put it all together and you can often get a recipe for a disaster in oil. And this year, the pain might last a bit longer. Why? First off, this year, the OPEC meeting falls on December 4th, so the uncertainty could extend past Thanksgiving week until we get the big bad event behind us. If OPEC agrees to boost production, that's bad news for the price of crude. I don't think it's going to happen. But anyway, there it is. Second, Garner expects a lack of liquidity here through the end of the year, possibly beyond, which puts downward pressure on everything. Once the dust settles, though, and get this, this is what's really interesting. She sees real hope for the oil bulls. How come? Well, while Thanksgiving week tends to be ugly, it also usually marks the annual bottom. Crude tends to rebound hard through December and January, which is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about this part, okay? I'm thinking about the future. According to Moore Research Center, Inc., there's a terrific seasonal buy signal for oil on November 29th that extends through the first week of January, okay? Now, um, specifically, if you went long oil on November 29th, right, we're getting up to near that, but it's not here yet, then held it through January 5th, you would have had a winning trade in 12 out of the last 15 years. That, to me, is good odds. More importantly, check out the daily chart of West Texas Intermediate Crude. You can see oil's been taking it on the chin of late, although today it managed to give us a nice bounce. While Garner's feeling more sanguine, she warns against trying to be aggressively buying post-Thanksgiving dip here. As she sees it, oil's got a floor of support at 75. You see, there's the support right there, okay? Uh, and down from about six bucks from here. And if that level fails to hold, she'd expect a quick move down to the next floor at 70, uh, maybe even 65 if things get ugly. I'm not so sure about that. Remember, the president has said he's going to buy oil right here, that he sold right here. The, perhaps the best pr- trade the president's ever done, not that he's ever traded, sell the strategic petroleum reserve here and then buy it back there. That is a joke. I'm not political. But once the price of crude gets closer to 70, Garner thinks you need to pounce. Why? And if it falls at 60, she'd be all over her hand or her fist. I think part of it's because, of it, although she didn't say this to me, that, hey, President Biden wants us to be able to be a buyer. That's what has to happen. All right, why, does she go, why does she want to go more positive? In large part, because she thinks the sellers will soon exhaust themselves. Typically, the pain stops when there's no one left to sell, because everybody who is going to get out has already done so. If you wait for the underlying fundamentals to turn positive, You'll miss the best part of the move. You have to wait. You have to watch for that moment of capitulation. Now, I still think we are at it. She's less bullish than I am. But that's when things get really ugly. And that tells you the bottom's at hand. Now, when we go over this piece of candy, I felt that the bottom's here. And I think she's saying here. And I don't want to miss for the forest of the trees. I think anywhere around there is good enough. Here's the bottom line. The charts interpreted by Carly Garner suggest that most of the selling in oil has already occurred. But she thinks there could be one last washout 
from this week, possibly early through December. And then oh, that washout could take crude down to the low 70s or even the mid 60s. Once we get there, she believes that could be the mother of all buying opportunities. Uh-oh, Moab, one of our biggest oil bears, is getting ready to turn bullish. Not yet, but likely in the next couple of weeks. You know what? I have to tell you, for members of the investing club, this is important because it's a big reason why we've kept some of the oil stocks in the charitable trust. And ideally, and you should become members of the trust, uh, of the club, we are going to want to buy more into this period. And if you're not a member of the club, you won't know what we're buying or when. Hey, let's take some phone calls. Let's go to Tony in California. Tony. Hey, Kramer. Happy Thanksgiving oh. to you and the staff. Right back. Oh, the staff. The staff is the staff's having a giant Thanksgiving party without me. I looked at my my executive producer's having a, a fantastic party that I was not invited to. It's a family party, but who cares? She's family. Let's go to work with each other. What's up? Okay. Well, thanks. Um, I want to. I'm thankful this year for your help and helping me get retired and making some mad money. There we so go. That's what I we had want. A really good. Okay, I want to I want to hear about how you feel about Pioneer Natural Resources. I couldn't. I went with Jeff Marks, who is, of course, my uh, compadre in in the uh, with the trust. And I said, we've got to buy, got to buy more Pioneer. We do not have enough Pioneer. He wants us to be able to make it so that it makes a difference when we buy. But I think Pioneer is my favorite oil right here, right now. Thank you for the fine comments. Let's go to Greg in Oklahoma. Greg. Jim Booyah from Oklahoma. How are you doing, man? I love Oklahoma. I'm doing great. How about you? What's up? Great. Thank you for taking my call. What's your thoughts on Devin? I know you've talked Devin about is it so well run. You know, it's so, and of course, Devin is Oklahoma. They've helped to build that beautiful art collection, University of Oklahoma, which has the finest French Impressionist collection in the country, and uh, other than a couple of art museums around here. And I will tell you, I think that Devin uh, will, we will rebuild the position if it gets back to 64, 65. All right. The chart suggests that there could be one last washout in oil through early December. Once we get to the low 70s or mid 60s, that could be the mother of all buying opportunities. I am saying I don't think it gets that low. Much more man money yet, including my exclusive with Wabash. Could the transportation company transport some gains into your portfolio? I'm getting the latest from the company's top press. Then, what does a lemon have to do with Jay Powell? Yeah, right in front of you. And him, I'll reveal. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. This month, we got a call from Dean in Maryland who wanted to know about Wabash, formerly Wabash National, the Indiana-based manufacturer of trailers and truck bodies. I said I liked it at the time, but ever since, the story stuck with me because Wabash represents the one part of the logistics food chain that's doing very well right now, even as the rest of it's in big trouble. Just in the last month, this stock has rallied 56% as Wabash reported a much better than expected quarter in late October. Truly stunning numbers, frankly. How did they pull it off? How did they do it? Let's go straight to the source with Brent Yegi. He's the president and CEO of Wabash to learn more. Mr. Yegi, welcome to Mad Well, thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. Boy, I am so good you're here because I've got to tell you, sir, it is very rare these days in a slowdown that is engineered by the Federal Reserve government that uh, we hear about present constraints to industry production and a need by your customers where they really can't afford to cancel because they can't do their job. How is this possible? 
Well, it's great backdrop right now. We've had so much disruption with COVID lockdowns and supply chain issues, labor issues. Our customers have been underbuying for three years. They have so much pent-up demand. Um, we've got a logistics outlook that's full of so much disruption that one of the best ways they can, our shippers and our customers can lay in capacity is adding assets. At the same time, you've been pretty inventive. You've got a new truck that sounds like it's a better mousetrap than the other guys. Yeah, we, we've always been an innovative company. It's at our core. Uh, we got 7,000 people that show up every day to be innovative. Uh, and we're taking advantage of the trends and we're laying in the resources and, and the focus to make it happen. So you do something that I thought was interesting. I never heard of this term before. You curate your list of customers. How does that, what does curation mean? Well, we take a deliberate processed approach to customers that uh, you know, best reflect our strategic interests or we best align with them. These are blue chip customers like Walmart, Kroger, uh, FedEx, J.B. Hunt. And so we take a very purposeful approach. You know, we're trying to make sure we have the best customer portfolio out there. All right. So I am Walmart and I call you and I say, OK, we want one quarter of all the trucks you're making. What do you say to them? Well, we say, let's have let's have a conversation. You know, let's sit down. Let's understand your interest. Let's see where we align. We're going to allocate capacity where it makes sense for us, but we got to make sure it's a good deal. And uh, that means we're going to work out our pricing. We're going to uh, look to uh, reach a long-term agreement that's win-win for both of us. But, Brett, you have $1.7 billion in backlog in 2023. There's no way you can meet that. That's, you know, you'd have to double your workforce, wouldn't you? No, our workforce is intact. It only represents 50% of our available capacity. And you know what, Jim? We're adding capacity this year with, with our existing workforce through uh, a, a capital deployment that will add 10,000 trailers for 2023. How are you able to get all the raw costs, the raw goods? I mean, how can you get the metal? How can you get the semiconductors you need? Everybody tells me it's hard to get that stuff. Well, when you're a premium player in the industry and you have the supply chain relationships we have, uh, we're doing better than the rest. That's what comes when you're a premium provider. Well, all right. Now, I'm going to ask a question that seemed, that may. I'm going to just ask it. How come I didn't know you guys? Is it because you're uh, different nameplates? Is it because you're where you live? I mean, I like to think I'm a student of a lot of companies, but Wabash has been pretty quiet in my, in my book. Well, we've been around since 1985. We've been public since 91, you know, but, you know, we live in, in an industry that not, that's not that well known. But we've got some interest right now simply on our results and uh, the expectations we have going forward. Now, the companies who don't use you would indeed, to quote you, miss out on the hot market conditions that have historically followed periods of weakness. We are in a hot market condition moment. Now, when I read your conference call, at first I think it was like, I hope Federal Chief Jay Powell does not read it. Because what it says is that things are on fire. Now, it's just why is your industry not even been slowed by the higher interest rates you've had so far? Well, it goes back to those those structural issues that are in our industry right now. Uh, It goes back to COVID lockdowns. It goes back to the disruption in the logistics chain across the nation. It's nearshoring nearshoring continue to disrupt. It's enhanced regulations that are putting pressure on our carriers. All this means that we have so much friction in the system that one of the best ways that they can take care of it is to add trailers, truck bodies, tankers, uh, uh, so on, to make sure that they can keep those drivers and that freight moving. Boy, does that ever make sense to me? Now, you got 7,000 people you said work there. Uh, we heard about all this the great resignation stuff. It sounds like if you pay people well and you treat them well, they don't resign. 
you did not lose a lot of people during this period, huh? No, we, uh, we've, we've are at a, a level of uh, manpower that meets our needs going forward. It's about culture, Jim. Uh, and when you got a place that people want to work and they want to show up and they buy into a purpose, our purpose is changing how the world reaches you. With a little bit of respect, you can do a lot of things. Now, do you have, I mean, I, you know, not that I ask you, the, you can easily say, uh, no, we have none to this question, but I'm going to get a little deeper. Is there anybody else that's really doing what you're doing? We're the premium provider when it comes down to it. And we have the broadest portfolio in the industry from first to final mile. Our customers come to us because we can answer all their needs uh, and we're the best at it. All right. Now, there's a forecast out there for 300,000 trailers next year in terms of production. Uh, isn't anybody concerned that, wow, hold on, let's say they take Fed rates up to five to seven. You're going to people have double ordered and there's not going to be uh, and, and everyone's going to be stuck with, with, with inventory. Well, we've seen turmoil all year, and we've got zero cancellations to date. We've got orders piling up, uh, and we're not seeing in our customer base any uh, any concern uh, with the with the backlog that we've curated uh, within our background. And you know, they they still see a, a good 2023, even with the uncertainty that we have. Well, you know, in China, they black out the things they don't want to hear, right? I feel like blacking out what you just said so that the Fed doesn't hear it. Because it's great to hear that there's somebody in this country who's doing well, meeting demand, improving the product, making so it's more energy efficient, and just doing a darn good job. That's Brent Yeji. He's the president and CEO of Wabash, WNC. Great to have you on, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure. Wow. Man, buddy's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round, next. Before we get to the lightning round, I want to remind you about a special offer that I think you will love. Thanks to Willie for mentioning it earlier. This week, you can become a member of the CBC Investing Club with our best offer yet. Just scan this code or go to cnbc.com slash Kramer Black Friday now. And now, and now it is time. Time for the lighting round. Kramer, my name is Taking your calls. Robert, you say, Mr. Taylor, bye-bye-bye. Just look at the calls. They're going to play the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, time for the lightning round. Kramer, I'm start with Kathy in Montana. Kathy. Hey, Jim. Um... You know, about exactly a year ago, you mentioned a stock that I had never heard of before. For people who really love the outdoors, like me, it's called uh, Vista, V-S-T-O. And I thought about what you said, and I bought some pretty quickly after your show. And like you said, I bought it in pieces. So I got some between $19 and $20. And then it more than doubled pretty quickly, like a few months later. Right. So I sold, I sold the price of your shares. Very and I good. I still the low end. Good. That was a guess. <laughs> but I think right, that's a good job. Well, look, Kathy, here's the problem with Vista, man. They're trying to change their stripes. They do have, uh, they still have bullets. They did a lot of, they had a lot of guns. They've gotten out of that. They have a very low price earnings multiple. I like the stock. I think it can be bought here. I've not pushed it, though, because some people are not be thinking, wait a second, I don't want to be involved in anything involved with the ammunition. Let's go to Craig in California, please. Craig. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Craig. What's going on? Hey, I've been with you since the uh, Kudlow Kramer days. Wow. 
Yeah. Okay. Hey, as, as a former Michigander, I still follow the Detroit Lions, so I know a thing or two about disappointment. I recently well, not this Sunday. Uh, you had a thing or two of about happiness this Sunday. But go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I recently purchased a stock with its headquarters in Dearborn, Michigan, for fifteen dollars okay. a share. So my question, and that would be Ford is, Motor Corporation. So then the question yeah, is, can Jim Farley get that stock to twenty? Well, I will tell you, I still see another bad quarter ahead because they don't have the right inventory, and then maybe things can get better. I need to go to Hunter in Louisiana. Hunter. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Hunter. What's going on? Look, I'm a big fan of language learning, and so I was just wondering, what are your thoughts on Duolingo, the company, if now is a good time to Look, buy I think it? Duolingo is certainly, look, everyone I know loves it and thinks it does a great job. However, it's not doing well financially, so therefore I'm not going to give it my blessing. I need to go to Michael in Florida, please, Michael. Booyah, Jim. Happy Thanksgiving to, from our family to yours. Oh, man, you're too nice. Right back at you. Right back at you. What's going on? Well, we have a question in the restaurant space. This business has great food, and they're always busy and can rival, rival Cracker Barrel in terms of market share. I think it's simple. F-W-R-G, first watch. We have to do work on first watch. We don't know it. We are still busy eating our portillos. We will come back with something on first watch. Let's go to Walter in my home state of Pennsylvania. Walter. Uh, hi, Jim. I salute you, buddy. For a great job, well done down through the years. Thank you. Thank you. I, What's going on? How can I help? My question to you is about bio, biotech company Immunogen. I-M-G-N. It should have happened for Immunogen. If it hasn't happened for it, it should have happened already. It's not making money. It's not for me. I'm sorry. There's so many good ones. I have to say no to that and that. Ladies and gentlemen, including other lightning round. Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. Before the crypto fan hits the fan, gobble up some stock market wisdom with Kramer. Next. See this? This cost me a buck forty-seven. This stupid little lemon. The basic building block of everything from a good salad to a tasty piece of fish to a dynamite cocktail. Now it goes for a buck forty-seven. Last year I could get three lemons for two bucks. And therein lies Fed Chairman Jay Powell's real problem, as he sits down to a family Thanksgiving dinner and ponders what else he can do to bring down inflation. Most of our lemons come from California, Arizona, and Florida. Now, when it comes to citrus, we know these things are hostage to the weather, which has been middling to bad for all fruits. But the simple fact is, when we think about why inflation is so bad, it really is epitomized by this. This little piece of fruit. First, the growing process isn't as simple as plant lemon trees that have water. When you plant them, you need fertilizer, which is skyrocketed in price because 35 to 40 percent of the global supply chain comes from Ukraine and Russia. You need pesticides, which use chemicals. They got scarce. You need somebody to pick the lemons, and there aren't enough people who want to do this backbreaking job anymore. This industry used to rely on migrant workers, but we now have a closed-door immigration policy that drives them away. So it costs a lot more to find anyone willing to pick these. 
Any machines that automate the process are made of steel. That's gotten more expensive. Run on fuel that's going up in price and need maintenance, which is a nightmare. Not to mention spare parts that often require some quantity of semiconductors. And those chips may be on back order because plants were closed for so long during the worst of the pandemic. Everything's back order. Now, how about getting those lemons to market? We have a shortage of truck drivers, which is just starting to ease. We have the, the diesel fuel cost, which is just starting to come down. We have to traipse to the distribution center and then the trip to the grocery store where it has to be priced and stacked by someone. Then you need a cashier unless you got one of them automatic checkouts. But even those need people because a lot of people don't know how they work. It sure feels like many links in the whole supply chain went AWOL because they had enough money from the federal stimulus checks, something the business community didn't see coming. Because who could have imagined Washington would be so generous? President Reagan used to joke that the most dangerous words in the English language were, I'm from the federal government and I'm here to help. This time, though, it, it, it wasn't true, except this is Washington was arguably too helpful. So now back to the lemon. With all those changes, do you really wonder why this thing is actually only about 47? I'm surprised it doesn't cost $2. And that's the dilemma the Fed really faces. There are only a few spots where it can intervene in the economy. Mainly, it can just raise the cost of borrowing money. So if you're buying food with credit card debt, maybe you replace lemons with lemon juice. Definitely don't cut back on citrus because you might get scurvy. But the bottom line is that if j Powell wants to beat inflation, he needs, needs to lean on other parts of the economy to make us feel poor to the point where more people are willing to pick lemons for a living because they need the money. That's a terrible way to bring down the cost of lemons, but it's the only tool the Fed's got that's fit for the job. And the job needs to be done, because who wants to pay a buck forty-seven for something that cost a fraction of that just one year ago? I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 